Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. God good? Amen. Amen. Well, look, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me. We're going to be looking in the book of Galatians. Okay, the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter six. Uh, We're going to specifically look at verses one and two. And uh, just I'm going to give you an opportunity just to go there. And uh, while you're going there, I want to tell you that these past couple of three weeks or so, we've been kind of going through a series as I've been studying in the word of God. and God's just been speaking to me through his Holy Spirit about what does it mean to be the church. Come on, what does it mean to be the church? Can you look at your neighbor and say, I am the church? Come on, look at your other neighbor and say, he is the church or she is the church. Come on, the church isn't these four walls necessarily, right? This, this church isn't these 36 acres of property that we have here that, that Rob Bruce so diligently comes out every Saturday and mows. Can we give uh, Rob a hand clap of appreciation? for coming and mowing the property here uh, this past Saturday. It looks great, Rob. Thank you very much. But come on, the church is, is us. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. Amen? Come on, I believe that, that God has a higher calling for the church. God has a higher purpose for the church. Even than what we're experiencing right now, that God wants to pour out His Spirit upon all men. That He wants to have His, his young men to to have visions, and his old men to dream dreams. And he wants his servants and his daughters and his sons to begin to prophesy. And he wants to begin to speak to us by the power of his spirit. Come on, we have a church that is is functioning under its God-given callings and gift and anointing. Amen? Come on, so I've been just, just been meditating and praying, God, what does it mean for us to be the church? How are we to treat one another? How are we to minister into this world? And he began to just give me the keys to the kingdom, as it says there in Matthew 16, where it says that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen. He says that I've given you the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You have all authority on earth. Come on, how many of you realize that we have authority on earth over sin, over sickness, over disease, over perversion, that we have all this authority, but yet we're like a king that's that's stuck in a throne that has no ability to rule. Amen. Until we begin to get out in these four walls. So God's just been speaking to me. What does it mean to be the church? And the first, the first couple of Sundays, we talked about through love, serving one another. Come on, how many of you realize that, that service, that as we serve one another, that the reality of that is, is that we are serving God. That we just talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. And the, and, and, and the man asked, Jesus asked, who is your neighbor, right? Who is the one who was neighbor to him who was in the ditch? And he said, well, the one who showed mercy. And we realized that Sunday that, that, we, that Jesus Christ showed mercy on humanity, that Jesus showed mercy on me, that Jesus showed mercy on you. And through that, we are to call to love God. We are called to love our neighbor. In doing so, we are loving Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on. Uh, 
Rob, you're sitting next to Michelle, who also runs our food pantry. That is every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday as we just serve uh, families that have a need, that as we just provide food. Come on, I want you to know that we are not just serving these families, that we are serving our Lord Jesus Christ by helping to share the gospel of eternity, the gospel of the kingdom here on this earth. Come on, that's the good news. That God hasn't called us just to sit in pews. That was my rap for this, this morning. That, was, that rhymed, by the way. <laughs> couldn't, I couldn't resist it. So the next Sunday, we talked about faith working through love. Come on, how many of you realize that it's an easy thing to say that we have faith? You know, we sing songs that, Lord, Lord give me faith. Amen? Come on, I want you to know that faith is not just an, uh, an, an attitude, right? Faith is not just an attitude, but faith is an action. That the Bible says in Hebrews, it talks about how that faith is what the substance of things hoped for. That we all have hopes. That we want to see our families touched with the gospel. That we want to see the, the, the dead raised. But I want you to know that as we begin to put legs to those hopes, that it becomes substance. And that's the faith that we function under. Amen. That Jesus, he came to this earth to die for our sins. God could have just said, you know, sins are forgiven. Done with that, right? God is God. He is the, he's the almighty the, the king of the, the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But yet God, in his awesome, uh, just knowing power, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Why? So that way we can learn from him and that we can emulate him. That as we begin to die for others, that we are imitators, that we are ambassadors of Christ, Jesus. This week, I want to talk about bearing one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens. Is everybody in Galatians? I'll give you a few more minutes until somebody says amen. Come on, is anybody in Galatians yet? Six, chapter 6, amen. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Can we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Can we just bow our heads together? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for your revelation. Lord, that that, that, that rhema word of God, as you just begin to pour out onto us the revelation uh, of the logos, Lord, that you can bring greater depth of understanding into this house, Lord, that we can be not only... Uh, Uh, just taught, Lord, but we can be encouraged, Lord, to go out into all the earth and make disciples of all nations, Lord, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to live the gospel, Lord, in our lives each and every day. Lord, I pray that you can just give me the ability to communicate clearly, Lord God, the passion that you have burning inside my heart, Lord, for the word this morning. I thank you for it, Lord, that you're going to open our ears to hear, Lord, our eyes to see, Lord, the goodness of who you are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, we're talking about this morning bearing one another's burdens. Bearing one another's burdens. I want you to know that, that here in, this, in our current culture, that that is diabolically opposed, that it is, goes directly against the status quo of today. Come on, how many of you realize that whenever we have people who are going through trouble, what is our first reaction? If you look on the news, if you look on Facebook, if you look on Google, if you look on Instagram, some of the most popular uh, YouTube videos are ones of people getting hurt, right? 
are people getting something going wrong with them, right? Or some of the most popular news feeds are some, some politician or some movie star or some pastor or some spiritual leader or some person who's falling into a, a trespass, somebody who's fallen into sin, someone who's sinned, and that we're just going to begin to just to make that public. Why? Because it's, in our, it's, it's not in our God nature, but it's in, it's in our sin nature to go against the things of God. Come on, I believe that God wants us in this present day as the church to bear one another's burdens. That he's called us to a ministry of what? Reconciliation. You see, our culture right now is designed to focus on the negatives. But I want you to know that people make mistakes. You know, remember Pastor Tommy, he shared this multiple times, and I've shared it multiple times as well. Why? Because it's true that we're just one decision from from being on the other side of the bars at Lafayette Parish Correctional Center, many of us. We're just one decision away from, from, from being in a, painted in a negative light in our current culture. I'm just one decision away from, from, from being locked up for something silly or stupid, right? Come on, how many of you realize that we need Jesus in our lives? And that when people fall into these various trials, these various temptations, as it says there in Galatians, as, it, as they're overtaken by a trespass, it says those who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. I want you to see and I want you to hear today that if there's anybody who's spiritual in this world, I would hope that it would be the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, I don't want people running off to these different counseling programs or different things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with AA or any of that stuff, but I want you to know that Jesus has the ability to change your life in a moment. Come on, I was, a, I was an alcoholic for many years, homeless, living on the side of the street. I want you to know I had that one-step program that stepped towards Jesus Christ, and he lifted me up from that miry clay. He turned me from who I was into who I'm going to be and who I am today. Come on, Jesus Christ has the ability to change us. Where the world just wants to cast aside those who have fallen into trouble. Come on. I mean, how many, who wants to deal with somebody who's dealing with sin, really? You know, who wants to really deal with someone who's dealing with sin? The world just casts that aside. They say, you know, it's just easier to, to, to forget, to just push aside. I don't, if I can, don't see them, I don't have to deal with them. But I want you to know that the gospel, it's, we call, through the gospel, we're called to bear up one another. Come on, Jesus came for the sick. Isn't that what he said? He didn't come for the well. He came for those who were in sin. He didn't come for the righteous. Jesus came for the very purpose that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. But we live in a society of junk dealers. We live in a society of, of, just, of, of people who are just trying to thrash and, and, and destroy the reputation of other people. I believe that that's just simply a self-centered ideology. That, they, that, that in order for them to lift themselves up, that they just tear other people down. I've used the example many times of, a, of, a, of a crabs in a bucket. Many of y'all have heard me share this. And you know, if you put a crab in a bucket, a five-gallon bucket, and you could try this. If any of y'all go crabbing, uh, I'm going to give you my phone number, but try, try this bucket thing and then call me when you're ready to boil the crabs. But, but take a crab in a five-gallon bucket and just put a single crab in that five-gallon bucket and leave the lid off. And that crab will climb out of the bucket all by himself. No problems. But if you put two crabs in the bucket, what's going to happen? The first crab will start climbing out. Second crab's going to say, uh, hey, I'm going to climb out too. So he grabs the first crab, pulls them. They, you don't have to put the lid on the bucket anymore. 
Those two crabs will keep themselves in there. I believe that we live in a society today that sees people begin to excel, that they see people begin to do the good things that God has called them to do. And through jealousy, through covetousness, and through just simply selfishness, that we begin to tear each other down. Come on, that's not the church of Jesus Christ. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, I'm sure that there's many pastors, there's many ministers out there that have fallen into trespasses. I want you to know right now that in this church, we're not going to go proclaiming all the negative things that pastors do, but we're going to begin to bear up the burdens of one another. That includes from the top all the way down. That doesn't mean that they don't have to deal with it, as they do, but I want you to know we're not going to deal with it through gossip and slander. Amen? We live in a society of junk dealers, but I want you to know that 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that we can be hope dealers. Come on, that we're just ministers of hope. We're ministers of reconciliation. I want you to know that no matter how far you've fallen, no matter what you've been through, that there is always the way through Jesus Christ. I remember growing up as a, as a young man, I was... Uh, I, some things here that I don't really want to share maybe right at this moment, but, but I remember growing up and have, through, in a divorced family, just a young man, seven or eight years old, and it caused a lot of confusion in my life. And people began to say things about me that simply weren't true. They just simply weren't true. But as a person of six or seven years old, I want you to realize that if somebody tells you stuff, something enough times, come on, it's going to become reality in that person's life. You know, we deal, we're dealing in a sexually confused culture today where people don't even understand the difference between the male gender and the female gender, Right? I want you to know that, that God understands the difference. That there is a difference. And God's called us to be male and female. Amen? We can't let our lives be conformed by the world. Right? It says there in Romans 12 too, It says, do not be conformed to this world. Come on, that means don't listen to what the world says that you are. Come on, I want you to know that the world says... Don't we can't let the world define who the church is. We can't let the world define who I am. You know, I had a man tell me one time that, Joe, you know, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. I want you to know that I'm not an alcoholic in Jesus' name. That I don't have to walk with that label anymore. I'm redeemed, I'm set free, I'm made new in my mind and in my body. That we don't need to be conformed to this world, but we need to be transformed. By the renewing of our minds. That way, that way we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Come on, right now. I just, can we just close our eyes? Right now. Right now, just close our eyes. Jesus. Come on, Doc said it. Just Jesus. Can we just say that precious name? Jesus. Jesus, transform our minds, Lord. Open up our hearts to, just, to who you say that we are, Lord. Lord, we rebuke the word of the world, Lord, and we receive fully, Lord God, who you say that we are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, you can look at that. See, we live in a society, in our society today. You know, we, we, we hear a lot about the Generation Z and the Millennials, and then, and then we have all these different generations, and, and we look at that and say, man, these, these kids are lost. They're just so confused and all that stuff. But I don't believe that it's just a product of, of just their their inheritance or their environment. I believe that it's just bad programming. Come on, did you realize I was at, we and Shannon, we went to, with our kids to the, to the National Youth Convention uh, in, 
in Houston, Texas this past week, and I shared it on the, uh, the church's Facebook page. If you have Facebook, I want to encourage you that at some point in time between now and next week to go on the church's Facebook page and watch it, the video. You can, there's some great worship and all that stuff, but there's a man there, Samuel Rodriguez, and he just begins to share a story and a message that is absolutely incredible and, and has the ability to transform just the way we think about the world. I want you to encourage you, just go watch that video. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But he's talking about how, how we live in a generation now that, that basically the church is, is resting upon, that the church is going to be defined by this next generation of people that we have coming up. Come on, as, as the church, it's our responsibility to reach these young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they can grow up and they have a firm foundation, a firm moral standard, that it's our responsibility, not not the older generation, that it is my responsibility, it is your responsibility to to begin to teach and invest and to restore these children into a right knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, the world is looking for answers. How many of you know that that it's not a matter of the world thinks that it's all just okay, hunky-dory. I believe that the world, that most people out there, they think that something is devastatingly wrong, but they're turning to the wrong things for the answers. They're turning towards, towards the government for answers. They're turning towards support groups. They're turning towards sports and events. Come on, I, I can appreciate a good coach. I grew up playing sports all of my life, baseball, football, and so forth and so on. But I want you to know that that coach taught me teamwork, but that my pastor and that, that the, the Bible taught me how to function in life. Come on, when my body couldn't no longer run around the bases, I want you to know that God still had a purpose for me. God is calling the church to restore the lost. I believe that as a person, as an individual, we read here in Galatians that it says, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, if a person has fallen into a trap, do you realize that it's usually impossible for that person to get out of that trap by themselves? Do you you realize that? Like if a person's fallen into sin, and we're going to begin to look at some scripture verses here in just a moment, but as a person begins to just fall into sin, that without the help of another, that it's totally impossible for them usually to get out by themselves, short of just a a miracle of Jesus Christ. And even having someone there to help you out of that trap is a miracle of Jesus in and of itself. But God has called the church to bear one another's burdens. That God has called the church to be there when people have fallen into sin. Come on, I want you to know that we have to call sin, sin. But I I want you to see here today that we're not just called to to declare what's sin and what's right. Come on, we're we're called to declare, this is sin. Let me show you how to help yourself get out of this mess. Come on, there was no no doubting that when I was in that, that present, I mean that past lifestyle, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I just didn't know how to get out of it. It's not that I wanted to. I remember when I, when I was uh, younger and I smoked. Anybody, how many ex-smokers in here? Right? I, I, how many, I used to quit smoking every single day. I'd be like, man, I want to quit smoking, quit smoking, quit smoking, quit smoking. It wasn't a matter that I, I, I wanted to smoke. I wanted to quit smoking. I just lacked the ability in and of myself to do it by myself. Well, God wants to help us in our times of trouble. He wants us to bear one another's burdens. He wants us to be an encouragement one to another. See, we need an accomplice in life. How many of you have an accomplice in life? That's kind of a, sometimes a negative term. But we need to have, many of us need to go through a jailbreak. Come on, we're, we're trapped up. We're locked up. 
We're bound up in sin and addiction. Come on, this world is struggling with its own identity. And it's time for the church to come up with as we have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And instead of just dangling the keys, look here what we got. We're enjoying the good life of prosperity and peace over here in the church while you whirl over there in sin and desperation. Come on, I believe that God wants us to begin to unlock doors for this world. Amen. That it's not necessarily just our circumstances. You see, many of us, we look at our circumstances and we try to let that determine our future. Come on, I want you to know that our circumstances don't always determine our position. Come on, just as Doc said, he's a doctor of psychology, but he still deals with the lows and the highs of life. Come on, just because of your role, that doesn't exempt you from having certain circumstances. And just because you're walking in a specific circumstance, that doesn't define who you are as an individual. We're all going to go through struggles and trials. Proverbs 24, 16. It says here that a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Come on, the Christian walk isn't about just perfection, is it? Come on, it's about persistence. It's about dedication. It's about honor. It's about loyalty. It's about godly authority. Our past doesn't have to determine our future. I I tell people many times when me and Shannon first met each other, had I been my pastor at that time, I would have told myself and I would have told Shannon, y'all need to run from each other. Amen. Fifteen years later, we're happily married. Amen. I want you to know that that sometimes our, our circumstances don't have to necessarily determine our future. Come on, as our future is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Can you turn with me? I want to, I want to look at just a, a story in, in the book of 2 Samuel. And we're going to be looking in chapters 11 and 12. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Amen. 2 Samuel 11 and 12. I want to start right there. I'm just going to read in verse 1. I'm going to read, through, I'm going to read a few verses here. It says, and it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and it besieged Rabath. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and and she came to him, and he lay with her. Verse 5 says, And the woman conceived. I want you to know that at this point that David had made a great decision that expressed a significant lack of character. Amen. That, that is David, he was somewhere that he shouldn't have been to begin with. You know what's interesting about this story? and We're going to read more about it. The fact that this story is even in the Bible is a miracle in and of itself. Come on, how many of you, being the king of Israel, that has sovereign authority over what's written and what's not, has sovereign authority of what's recorded and what's not. I think if I was the king and I did this and I had an unrepentant heart, I would have just said, hey, scribes, you put that in there and it's, you're not going to live any longer. 
Come on, this is King David. How many of you realize that the Jews, that they, and, and even the Christians today, have a great high regard for David? That as David, he was the man after God's own heart. But we see here that David, in a moment of, of just poor character, of poor judgment, it, where he was somewhere that he wasn't even supposed to be, he was the king, and he goes, and this was a time where the kings were supposed to be out to war. And he finds himself looking at things he's not supposed to look at. He finds himself calling on women he's not supposed to be calling on. And commits an act of adultery. But it goes on further. Come on, how many of you realize that sin can sometimes create multiple issues in life? It's like a good lie, right? You have to just keep lying and lying and lying. Eventually, you're going to have to keep a book to keep track of the false lies that you're living. You lie about it long enough, you're going to begin to believe it anyway. But David, he realizes that he's caused a great mistake. So David, he goes and, I mean, just get this image. He's sitting there. He goes, he calls a woman toward him. He gets this woman pregnant. So instead of just confessing, instead of just making it right, what does he do? He calls Uriah. As it says in verse 6, he says, send me Uriah. He he tells Joab. In verse 12. So this is Uriah. He's talking to David and and, and David is what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, well, maybe if I just get Uriah back off the battlefield and he comes home and I say, yeah, hey, man, just go home, you know, that he'll get, you know, he'll lay with his wife. And then, you know, maybe David could just pass off the whole incident as being Uriah's. You know, they didn't have DNA testing back then. That's kind of a new thing, right? And Uriah said to David in verse 11, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab, the servants of my Lord, are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You see, Uriah was a man of honor. Uriah was a man of valor. Uriah was a man of character. He says, David, I know you want me to go lay with my wife, but my word, man, I mean, all the armies out there fighting, Joab's out there fighting. David, as long as you live, I know your heart, you know, I mean, could you imagine these little, these were like spikes in David's heart as he's sitting here trying to hide something from the very man he's deceiving, right? He's trying to deceive a man. And Uriah's like, no, David, man, you're just so awesome. The army, I just believe in everything I'm doing. David didn't even believe in these things at this time. You see, sin has the ability to just put a veil over our reality. So verse 13, of course, If you can't get them to do it sober, David got Uriah drunk and said, okay, let's try this another night. And I'll I'll try to see if maybe I can get Uriah to sneak home. And he doesn't do it. Verse 15. It says, so David wrote a letter to the army, to Joab. He said, to set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down to die. You see, that sin was perpetuated. It began in adultery. It began of lying. It, began, it, it began, turned into deceitfulness. And then it led to murder. As the act of a king, he is, he's putting this man who did no wrong to him, in fact, showed incredible integrity and character, He put this man on the front line to be killed by the armies of his enemies. The story goes on to say that in verse 22, 
that a messenger came and told David through Joab. And then in verse 24, it says that the archers shot from the wall of your servants and some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite was also killed. I want you to see in verse 27 that we realize that David is a man after God's own heart. But in verse Verse 27, it says that, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I want you to recognize something here that that as the church, it's not our job to simply just just sweep sin under the rug. Come on, I want you to know that the things that we do as we sin against the Lord, that it has a, a an eternal consequences for us here on this earth, that sin is sin and that sin is displeasing unto the Lord. David tried to hide his sin. He tried to hide his sin. He tried to write it off. Just as like, well, you know, I'm just doing my duties. I'm protecting my God-given authority. David realized that he was the king. And if something like this had gotten out, it may damage his reputation. Again, this is just an amazing story as we read in chapter 12. I want you to know that one of the keys to this story, that one of the keys to the kingdom, that one of the keys to the church is what we read here in chapter 12 as it says that then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Come on, how many of you realize that today we need more Nathans going to more Davids in this culture? We need people going out and not just to condemn those who are in sin, but to breathe life into their situation. And Nathan, he begins to tell David a story. I'm not going to read it. But he basically tells David a story and he begins to just outline exactly the things that David had done. And then as David, he begins to see this from the third person. He begins to have outrage in his heart. And he says that whoever did this thing, they need to be put to death. In chapter 12, verse 7, Nathan said to David, he says, you are that man. He said, you are the man, David. You are the man that stole that little ewe lamb. You are the man that went into the innocent and began to destroy someone else's life to protect your own skin for your own purposes. You are the man. I want you to know that Nathan was a genuine man of God. Come on, we just can't go into the world declaring sin without having first built relationships and built bridges. You see, Nathan was a prophet. He was a genuine man of God. He wasn't just there telling David all the evil, the unrighteous things that he did. I want to go real quickly, just turn back a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 7. You know, I believe that Nathan, he just went to David and he began to try to gently, through the Spirit of God, he began to explain David what his sin was for a specific reason. As we read in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13 and 14. And Nathan is prophesying under the influence of the Holy Spirit by God to David. He says, and when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, it says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish a throne of his king, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son. You see, here Nathan knew the promises that God had made in David's life. He had declared unto David prophetically that David, it is through your seed that God is going to establish his kingdom on this earth. That forever and ever that your seed will begin to rule and reign on this earth. See, Nathan, he didn't look at David and see his sin. He looked at David and saw his promises. 
And he knew that sin was going to get in the way of his promises. So he goes to David and he says, David, man, you're, you're messing some stuff up. It's going to have a lot more effect on, on this earth besides just you. Nathan knew that it was through David's line that he was going to establish his eternal kingdom. You see, I believe that the Lord sent Nathan, not just because it said it, because because he had a promise for each and every one of us. Do you realize that it was through the lineage of David who came Jesus Christ as as our Lord and Savior, that he came to establish a kingdom on this earth that goes on into all of eternity, that that kingdom had David, had he... uh, messed up his, his opportunity at this time, he could have totally aborted the mission of God in that, that David would have totally stopped everything that God wanted to do in his life. But the Lord sent Nathan to David. How many of you know that David was the king of Israel? Nathan was a prophet. Come on, the king has all authority. He has all control. You don't just go to a king and begin to declare the things that he's doing wrong. Come on, Nathan went at great risk, not only to his life, but to his position. Do you realize that that Nathan could have just totally made himself obsolete in David's kingdom? David could have just said, you know what, Nathan, I don't want to hear you anymore. Go find me another prophet. But Nathan went at great risk because he knew the stakes were higher than just his own selfish ambition. He could have lost his relationship with David. There's too much at stake on this earth that we can't begin to speak up and to begin to bear the burdens of this world. Here this morning, I want you to understand that we as a church, that we can't confront any sin that we're not prepared to cover. We can't confront any sin that we're not prepared to deal with. We can't confront any trespass in someone else's life that we're not prepared to show them the way unto righteousness. Come on, I want you to see here this morning that that is the power of the gospel. I can see the law, when the law was written, all it did was point it out the wrong without a way to make it right. We can't point out the sin without showing the way to make the sin go away. Amen. That we can't we have to bring with it not just the the negative, but we have to bring the positive. We can't cover. We can't confront a sin that we're not prepared to cover. Let's jump real quickly. John chapter eight. And many of you are familiar with this story. John chapter 8, verse 7. And this is the story of the woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. I want you to know that this, there was no denying whether this woman was innocent or whether she was guilty. She was caught in the very act. And there is this woman who's standing there in the square. And they have all these, these the Pharisees and all the people who are around, around her getting ready to stone her. I want you to know that each one of those individuals, by the writing of the law, were absolutely correct in what they were about to do in in stoning this woman. But Jesus steps in. At great risk of himself, of great risk of his reputation. Come on, he doesn't begin to just say, yep, you're caught in adultery. Let me show you everywhere in the scripture where adultery is wrong. Let me show you everywhere in the Bible that says that, you know, we can't commit adultery, all these other things. You see here, that's not really the question. Most people who are in sin, they don't need to have it pointed out that they're in sin. That's not the issue. What they need to have pointed out to them is how do I get out of sin? 
And Jesus stepped directly into that situation. A woman who was undoubtedly guilty. But Jesus steps in there. He says, hang on just a second, guys. He says, who of you is without sin among you? Who among you is without sin? Let him first throw the first stone. Come on, I want you to know at that very moment, Jesus interceded on behalf of that woman. That he stepped into a situation he, had, he didn't have to step into. You see, at that moment, Jesus is living. He's bearing the woman's burdens. He, he, he wasn't condemning her. He wasn't bringing her down. But he made a way where there seemed to be no way. You see, you, you trespass when you find yourself somewhere where you're not supposed to be. That woman was caught in the very act of adultery, somewhere she wasn't supposed to be anyway. Verse 11. Well, verse 10, it says, Woman, where are your accusers? See, everybody there knew that they were in sin also. It's just the difference was is she was caught and they weren't. You see, they, they, her, her sin was exposed. And hers wasn't. I want you to know that every one of those men that were there, every one of those Pharisees that were there that had a stone getting ready to cast it at this woman, they dropped their stone and they walked away. And that woman was left there with just Jesus. You see here, but they dropped their stone and they walked away with their sin still on them. But that woman was left there with Jesus. They may have dropped They're stone, but they still carried their sin. So Jesus looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I believe that that is the that should be the message of the church, that that should be the message of the church as we bear one another's burdens. That we should say, hey, it's not a question of if you've done right or wrong. Come on, it's not a question of whether I've sinned or if I've not sinned. The question really remains is, is that is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross sufficient for our sins? And the answer to that is yes. And I want you to know that Jesus, He bears the sins of those who are willing to call Him Lord. You see, the thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. But Jesus came to give life. And what? Life more abundantly. That that day that that thief was represented by those Pharisees as they were trying to steal the opportunity at repentance of this woman. And Jesus looks at her. He stands in the gap. He stands in the way. He bears her burdens and he puts himself on the line and says, where are your accusers? You see, that's where the church is, needs to be. That should be the message of the church. We make a way where there seems to be no way. That we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. This should be a place where sinners come running to, not running away from. Come on, as we have the answers to life, and we have the answers to, to health, we have the answers to that abundance that God promises us. But yet, it seems like we spend more time breaking things down and tearing things up. Come on, it's the world, they put up walls. Come on, Jesus kicks them down. Come on, it's the, the world, they begins to dig Dig moats. Come on, Jesus and the church, he begins to, we begin to build bridges. That's what we're called to. That ministry of reconciliation. That we're called to bear one another's burdens. Matthew 18. As we just prepare to close. Matthew 18. Let me turn there. 
I mean, Acts chapter 18 is good too, but I'm going to go with Matthew 18. I think that this is a, a verse of Scripture that many people maybe forget to, to practice. Matthew 18, 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, I want you to know here that we just studied just a few days ago, or a few weeks ago, that Jesus says, he can see, he says, be certain that offenses will come. How many of you realize that if you're in church long enough, you're going to get offended? Come on, Doc, you're good. How many of you realize that if you, if you haven't been offended yet, you're ready? It's coming, okay? Come on, somebody's going to say something, somebody's going to do something. I'm going to say something and do something that's going to be offensive to you. But I want you to catch this, a few things here that are absolutely essential. He says, if, if, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even hear the church, then let him be like a heathen and a tax collector. You see, in... Matthew chapter 16 shares a verse of Scripture here. As Jesus, he's reiterating a point. As we go into 18.18, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say unto you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Come on, I want you to see here that this, this mode of reconciliation, that Jesus has called us to reconcile one to another, that as we begin to do that, we align with His purposes. Many people quote this verse that I'm fixing to read, but they don't recognize these steps that have to take place in order for this to become a reality. He says in verse 19, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. We hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.